Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before. He's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Coming to you live on tape from week 94 of quarantine from an above-ground basement in rapidly gentrifying Culver City, adjacent California, boasting completely obstructed views of absolutely nothing. This is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, the co-author of Still Awesome, The Trials and Tribulations of an Egotistical Maniac, currently on sale via ebook on Amazon at jasonellisbook.com and conveniently in a bunch of cardboard boxes about 15 feet away from where I am sitting right now. Hello, and welcome back, me. Well, I think we all knew this day was coming, right? Um, I have had, it's, I have no guest. It is myself, and I am excited in a strange sort of way to be talking to you directly um, for the first time in months. I feel like we have not spoken. So yeah, I think we all knew this day was uh, was coming. It's been hard to get guests. Actually, guests are pretty easy to come by. The SiriusXM talent department has done a bang up job of uh, bringing in potential guests, which it helps obviously that all of the guests have been under house arrest. Every celebrity and author and blast from the past name and what have you has been under house arrest for like three or four months now. That's it's sort of like shooting fish in the barrel. So there, there are lots of opportunities, and I'm sure you've been enjoying lots of, of guests across uh, lots of shows across this platform, but I just personally do not have any practical way to talk to guests or really arrange time to talk to guests. The vast majority of my days are spent, uh, I want to say changing diapers, but boy, the difference between baby one and baby two is best exemplified by the complete disregard that we have for for my daughter's diaper hygiene. At this point in time, we pretty much just, we know it's time to change her diaper when I hate when, when when urine starts leaking out the back of her ass through her pants. We go, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 in the beginning, and parents will probably know what I'm talking about. Well, I don't know. Maybe you're a better parent than I am. In the beginning, it was, oh, shit, we let her diaper leak again. And now it's almost like she doesn't need to be changed yet. She hasn't even leaked through her pants yet. So if you are my daughter listening to this audio 20 years from now, I, I do apologize for our benign neglect. So... Anyway, yeah, SiriusXM has lots of great guests available to shows like myself. I do not really have the time to uh, to take advantage of them outside of my usual responsibilities with my actual job, The Jason Ellis Show. So as you've heard, I've been leaning on a small, rotating cast of familiar friends of the show, the Mark McGraths of the world, the Jesse May Pelusos of the world, Tony Thaxton last week. But uh, these people have their own coronavirus lockdown lives to lead, and this week I yet again find myself without any options. So I figured I had to skip a couple weeks of shows there for one reason or another. I didn't want to do that again. I figured we could just hang one-on-one. I like these shows uh, when it's just me talking to you, and I, I get the impression at least some of you don't don't mind them either. Plus, I have a pretty fun thing that I want to talk to you about. It's a shame Mark McGrath can't be here because all I'm going to talk to you about today are things that I have not been able to get to 
when I talk to Mark McGrath, I plan out these episodes and I'm paranoid that one day we're going to run out of stuff to talk about and we're going to have 10 minutes left on the clock and what are we going to do then? All of a sudden, we're just going to start telling creepy stories of stuff that, you know, happened in Boy Scouts to fill time. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that to Mark McGrath. And as you know, if you've listened to the episodes we've done together, that has not happened. In all likelihood, that never will happen. <clears throat> as a result, I end up with a bunch of stuff left over. I can't go in with a theme of, you know, this kind of song or that kind of band or can you guess the blah, 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 and only have like three examples. But in the end, we just blabber on and on about how cool K-Rock was in 1982 for half the show, and then we only do three examples. So I've been keeping a running document of all of the the leftover stuff from a bunch of topics that I, I talked to Mark McGrath about over the last couple of months, last couple of years. And I figured one day or another I would go through those with him, but he can't be here, so why why not just go through those with you, my friends? So that's what I'm going to do. In particular, I want to take a look back this week at the successful bands who had fallings out with their, um, in many cases, iconic lead singers. And what are you going to do? You still got a name. You still were born to rock. And you can still try to get people to buy a new album or come see a, a concert. And... And, um, and so you soldier on. And sometimes that works out, right? Van Hagar worked out, and and um, sometimes that does not work out. So uh, we talked about a whole bunch of bands who failed to successfully replace their iconic front man, me and McGrath, a while back. And today I'm going to take a look at, uh, at some of the other ones that we missed. Because I, I actually think I left more of the good ones um, uncovered. So we can talk about those today. I'll get to those in a minute. Um, uh, I am in... I'm in my basement. This is, uh, I feel like I've been stripped of all of the trappings of what my radio life once was. We had this beautiful, we still do. And I'm sure, I'm pretty sure one day we will go back to this beautiful, pristine, state-of-the-art, cutting-edge, Los Angeles, Hollywood-adjacent facility with floor-to-ceiling panoramic views of the entire sprawl of Los Angeles, and we had a coffee machine. I didn't have to make my own seltzer. There was a, sel a seltzer machine. My goodness, that was that was living high on the hog. And we had uh, professional microphones. Right now I'm talking to you into a, a Shure SM57, and people who know stuff will know that that's just, this is a, when you picture a microphone, it's just a, a microphone, and I'm sitting at a, I'm sitting at my wife's desk, and I remember a time when I used to wear pants when I did this show, um, but now here I am. I'm uh, looking at an exercise bike. I'm looking at a crib. We got the second baby out of the crib, crib life over for the second time. She sleeps in an actual human bed, so these are the small victories that I, I mark my days with. I'm looking at my vast collection of courtroom sketches. People know, is it a... It's real interesting. You get into a thing, and then you start thinking about what you are going to look like to your children one day when they are able to judge you objectively. Of course, everything mom and dad do is either cool or just whatever until you get out of the house and then you come back and you go, huh, I never really thought about how dad kept a courtroom sketch of Mark 
David Chapman in our dining room. That was odd. That's the guy who killed John Lennon. Why did he buy that? Why was that hanging in our house? I haven't actually gotten around to hanging a goddamn thing. Fun fact, I've lived in a home for two years without hanging a single thing on the wall. That doesn't mean I don't have 7,000 of them ready to go if and when I get around to that. I'm looking at a couple of, I'm looking at right now, uh, you see half of it. That's either Jesse Jackson. I don't know if he got caught up in some sort of racketeering or something. Sweet fro on the Reverend back in the early 70s, I think that was. Or I think I, I can only see like the stenographer and a couple of the odd bailiff from, from where I'm sitting right now. I think that might be Bernard Getz, the subway vigilante. Look him up. He was um, uh, the Joker movie, the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie was heavily inspired by Taxi Driver, obviously, but specifically by Bernard Getz. So uh, there's a little piece of Americana that I own. And uh, as I mentioned, I have, oh, I've got about eight boxes of Still Awesome, the book I did with Jason Ellis looking at me right there because, again, the things, the trappings of life that we all enjoyed until not too long ago. There were people who used to handle shipping this thing. Not anymore. Now I am personally licking those stamps for the foreseeable and uh, I'll remind you, if you want to get a copy, it's on Amazon. It's, man, talk out of both sides of my mouth on Amazon, because as a person who sells things, boy, Amazon is a pretty gross little monopoly they got going on there. As somebody who buys stuff, Prime's pretty pretty handy, isn't it? So uh, I'm the guy licking the stamps on your copy of that if you get it on Amazon or at jasonellisbook.com. It's a lovely book. We're very happy with it. Um, I've had some time here and there to flip back through it, and none of it makes me cringe. And that's about the highest compliment I can pay myself creatively is I don't deeply regret anything I've come across except for the one fucking page that has two fucking identical typos. Um, oh, and the ebook is now available because a lot of people, you know, you love books, but you love trees too. So if you want the ebook, just wherever you get an ebook, it's up there. What else do I have down here? My wife's got her signed Russell Westbrook basketball. That she won at an auction. I love that woman. Russell Westbrook. I think we can all agree the MVP season was, we all got a little carried away there. The triple doubles were very self-indulgent. But the fact that my wife decided to part with her hard-earned lucre to own an autograph from from a guy who looks like a basketball-playing gremlin touches my heart. There's a bunch of music equipment over there. I definitely thought I was going to use that when I bought that sick Marshall. That... Uh, that looks good underneath a pile of shit. Oh, and all the way over there in the corner of my basement, I, I'm enjoying the view of this. I'm like whispering as if if my wife were listening to this, like she wouldn't be able to hear because I'm talking quietly, but you still could hear me. Dude, I have this fucking piece of wood. I mean, it's like the biggest fucking piece of wood you've ever seen in your entire life. And it's, I, it's, it's Japanese wood and don't believe they have redwoods, but whatever the Japanese equivalent of redwoods is, that's what this has to be from because it's it's a sliver. It's like a, a cross-section of tree uh, stump, you know, the, the main part of the tree. The word's failing me now. Is everybody else completely losing their mind with all that's going on right now, or is it just me and all the people that I talk to? Words fail me. You know what I mean. The trunk, ah, oh, the trunk of a tree. It's half of a trunk of a once mighty tree. And it's beautiful wood, too. And my wife's grandmother somehow got her hands on this. And she does this, or did, she's 
passed away, God rest her soul, this gorgeous Japanese stenciling. Um, it's beautiful writing. And she got this huge, fucking, incredibly heavy piece of wood. And she stenciled some stuff on it. I couldn't tell you what it says. And one way or another, it ends up in my basement. And what are you going to do? I don't really have a space in my home or my or my life to display a humongous. I mean, this thing's five by four, and like I say, that's only half of the of the trunk. This humongous, like two hundred pound piece of wood anywhere in my home, but can't sell it because this is something that her grandmother made, and you know, I can't. I'm not going to put that. I I would never even be okay with putting that on the curb. But so if anybody knows like a, um, like a Japanese Buddhist temple that wants to come to my house and take this place and give it a place of honor in their place of worship, um, I'm at, I'm Tully at SiriusXM.com. Until then, I got a big fucking piece of wood, man. Marriage. You take the good with the bad. So is everybody, is everybody doing okay? Am I naive? Am I being Pollyanna-ish for thinking that the world is maybe not quite as insane as the world would have us believe the world is? Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't. I don't want to say that I'm. I don't want to make light of or minimize the economic damage that's going on in the world right now and, and in America, and it, that's horrible. And if that affects you, that's horrible. And I don't want to minimize the um, the effects of people who've passed away. I've been touched by that a little bit myself. I'm sure not as much as some other people listening to this have been. And if, and if that's you, uh, you know, my condolences. But is it? I'm starting to get the impression that, because we've gotten so into the whole, will you look at what this fucking person, or will you look at these fucking people? are doing online and we're all so like addicted to what crazy people think and what crazy people say because it just boils our blood to hear crazy people say things that we know are crazy with such conviction and if you're one of those people who might include our president in that list i might be inclined to agree with you but here's my point I think we're all being led to believe oh, everybody's crazy. You hear what everybody's saying this, everybody's saying that, but I feel like everybody online is saying crazy stuff, but everybody that I know personally is going, man, are you seeing what everybody's saying? But like, I don't personally interact with a whole lot of people who are like, seriously, bro, all hyperbole aside, this whole thing is like a false flag or seriously, bro. Uh, I mean, I don't want to sound crazy, but Antifa seriously, um, a major factor in my life today and not in a good way. Like, I don't know those people. I think that, uh, I'm going to appeal to what Richard Nixon once appealed to, which is the silent majority. I think people who listen to this show, I, as a matter of fact, I'm going to say, I know the people who listen to this show, are part of the silent majority of Americans who know that shit is real, and Canadians, shit is really, really wobbly right now, but we all know what we have to do. We got to play it safe. We got to keep our head down. We got to wear a fucking mask, and we got to, uh, you know, act like grown-ups. And we've been through rocky times before as a world, rockier than this, and we'll figure it out and we'll see it through and we'll come out the other side. And with all the social things that are going on, maybe when all is said and done, we'll come out a little better than we started off. Is that, am I crazy for thinking that that might be what the, um, it's like what the Martin Luther King thing about the arc of, 
of you know justice is what curved but it bends towards justice as that eloquent man once said and i just quoted verbatim do you know what i'm talking about am i crazy for thinking that we might be able to we might be better we might be okay we might be okay we might just figure this shit out and the world might just survive and might not be completely about to just fall into a sulfury pit of hell right I'd like to think so. Anyway, I'm going to operate on the assumption that the, um, the that the world will survive and move on to my topic, or we'll see how much time I have, topics of the day. And uh, as I mentioned, at the top of the show, I want to talk to you about bands who tried to replace their lead singers. And one of the most famous and famously successful examples of this is Journey, Right. I don't know what happened with Steve Perry, but I I gather that he is, first of all, I think has become a somewhat forgotten and underrated singer because he didn't have a whole lot of frontman swagger. There's not a lot of mystique around Steve Perry like there is around most of the great rock and roll frontmen. But when it just comes down to melodies and just pipes and tunefulness and tone, I think really... I think also because they're a pop band, ultimately. They're like a power pop arena rock kind of band. And if your band doesn't have edge, people just don't take you all that seriously. It's as I don't know. Sometimes it's harder to 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 throw that fastball down the middle than it is to to go, you know, crazy. Kurt Cobain could always just write a bunch of drivel that meant absolutely nothing and people would call him a genius. Journey actually had to well, you know, you know what I mean. I think Steve Perry has become underrated and kind of forgotten. He's one of the all-time greats in Journey, as probably everybody knows, managed to land on their feet in the weirdest way possible by getting like a karaoke singer to be Steve Perry. Here's a taste of uh, what they cooked up with that dude. Okay, that song's pretty bad. It's, that's awful. That's a Hallmark movie. But it doesn't change the fact that Journey have pulled it off and they still get to tour and be Journey. And it's such a horrible, horrible feeling. I hate to pick them out, but the guys who come to mind for me are Skid Row. I'm sure all the hardcore Skid heads, (laughs) Skid heads, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> row heads let's call them figured out a long time ago that sebastian bach is nowhere to be found but there's still got to be somebody every time they come to town like every time those guys go out on stage and and then the singer comes out because in hair metal you always let the band go out first and then you come out sleezing in the city yeah. like there's got every single time they know if they look down there's going to be one guy going looking at his girlfriend like what no i don't know yeah this is it's no look at the tickets it says Skid Row, right? Like Journey has at least gotten over that hump. Everybody knows it's it's karaoke guy, and that's what you're showing up for. And, and I think most people are delighted by karaoke guy. So who cares if the song that we just listened to called All the Way is a pretty disposable piece of crap? Um, I don't I, I knew that Iron Maiden had had a singer before Bruce Dickinson. I think in some circles, um, People even kind of sort of play that whole, I kind of like their old stuff a little better game with Iron Maiden, right? Like people 
dig the, was it one or two albums that they did before Bruce Dickinson came along? But I guess at some point along the way, it's just sort of a thing that's going to happen, right? You Crazy people start bands in the first place, and then you give crazy people lots of success, and in many cases, drugs. And people who had who were a little bit probably kind of insufferable even when they were just like in 10th grade of high school become like next level arena level stadium level insufferable and everybody just needs a break and then they go apart and they go oh right i forgot i'm fucking i'm I'm connected at the hip to you for the rest of my life whether i like it or not so yeah let's just fucking grin and bear it and get back together and do this but they have to everybody you know motley crew had to find out that it doesn't matter that Vince Neil can't sing and, and refuses to even try to that John Karabi's a, a pro a pros pro looks the part, sounds the part. Nobody cares. We want Vince. So Iron Maiden had to do their album with their guy. And I did very, very little homework for this week. I think I've already detailed where my life is at, at the moment. So forgive me for not having names of these people with all due respect to their efforts, all pros, pros in their own rights. Here's what uh, Iron Maiden sounded like after Bruce Dickinson had joined the band, after he left or was fired or whatever, before he came back. just sad when iron maiden all the sound all of a sudden sounds like a local band that kind of vaguely kind of wants to be iron maiden but anyway they landed on their feet and everybody learned i'm sure a valuable life lesson about what the iron maiden was stronger together than they were apart and um they that will uh that will never that era will never be revisited again let's see uh very similar exact same story oh no very different story come to think of it with judas priest everybody knows this one right everybody knows about that that's what the the Mark Wahlberg Rockstar movie was about, is they did the thing that, frankly, in my mind, is a good idea and should have worked. They went and found a guy who was... Well, okay, so what they did, Judas Priest has got a guy, just like Journey got the guy who was amazing at imitating Steve Perry down at his local karaoke bar, Judas Priest just got a guy who sang for... Uh, Judas Priest cover band and it makes sense right and the guy's name is Tim Ripper Owens and I know he's landed on his feet and made a bit of a career for himself so I guess everybody won here uh, let's see what Judas Priest sounded like son Rob Halford Man, I don't know when that was made, but I feel like I know exactly when that was made. With that was an era. That was metal in between eras, trying to to right the ship and find itself. And there was a guy trying to sound like Rob Halford. And like I said, I think they enjoyed some some success with Ripper, right? I feel like some guys already adding me right now to tell me that this stuff was at least modestly successful in in the metal world so this may not be a completely 
failed experiment at a replacement singer. But obviously there's a reason why all the original parties found it in their hearts eventually to reconcile. Here's another act that is a complicated story. I don't think we need to get into it. People who care probably already know it. Another act that ended up with a different lead singer than their iconic frontman and managed to find some success with it. And I think the reason is because these guys just fully pointed the ship in a similar direction, but but went for something new. I think most of these bands that that fail when they get their replacement lead singer, that's the mistake that they make is that they either can't or won't figure out a new way to go. So they just keep on going in the same direction with somebody who can't take them nearly as far as the guy that they started off with. Um, this is a complicated story with the misfits, right? But I actually kind of weirdly dug the fake misfits that happened in what was that like the late nineties or something, this stuff. It was uh, Michael Graves, I think, was the lead singer. They kind of went like, they got a little monster mashy then, and more overtly metal. Obviously, the Misfits were a punk band. On the the '97 version of Misfits was was more metal, but that that kind of worked. I don't think anybody regrets that. Plus, it wasn't like anybody had a choice. It would be a long, long time before Danzig was willing to perform even intermittent performances with misfits it is a pretty crazy story though right like okay fuck i said i wasn't gonna tell the story but this is what i think the story is right so glenn danzig was the musical architect and probably stylistic architect of misfits and the other guys the two dudes who were in it with him i think it was two guys later on sued him and we're like well come on we did remember that one little chord i remember i threw in there i remember i i said that you know you should call that song Skull and, you know, and, and Danzig, who probably was, it's, it's weird. Cause I think a lot of bands, very, very few bands work purely collaboratively. And most of them really do have like the guy, but it's also pretty rare that the guy just shows up and, you know, hands out sheet music to everybody. He comes like, Hey man, here's this new thing that I got. And everyone starts jamming on it. And you know, even if your, your co bandmates, aren't the most talented writers or musicians. They're kind of bound to just throw in little flair here and there. And you go, oh yeah, that's cool. We'll leave that in there. And then later on, there's real money to be made and everybody hates each other. And and they go, well, wait a second. You always said 100%. It was more like, I don't know, it was more like 94% Glenn Danzig. And Glenn Danzig obviously is the guy who was sitting at home making these songs out of out of nothing doesn't see it that way, but these guys might have a, a little bit of a, a point. So then everybody sues each other. And this was the weirdest solution to such a lawsuit that I'm aware of. If if I have my facts straight, if not, it's a pretty fun story, even if I'm just completely making this up here in my basement. Oh, well, there's that weird little bird paper mache thing that my son insisted he needed in Bali that's just been sort of haunting the corner of a room um, ever since. Anyway... 
So I believe what happened with Misfits is Danzig is like, you're not going to get one red cent. And they said, well, how about if you just let us use the name because you don't want to be Misfits now anyway. You've already been Samhain and Danzig. You're not going to be Misfits, so let us be Misfits. So I think that was the deal, right, is they surrendered any claim to having any ownership of anything creatively. And I don't even know. They might not have gotten any more royalties from the old misfits stuff, but they were just allowed to be misfits. And that was amenable to both parties. And I don't think Danzig gave a, a half a shit what Jerry only and Doyle, is that the other guy got up to, but it, it worked out well for them because they actually had a little run with this graves guy and, and people, you know, I think they got to show the world that they had a little something to bring to the table. So that was a happy divorce that worked out for everybody. Um, this, uh, this next one here, this was short lived. A lot of times what happens is when, you know, the, the band breaks up or has its, maybe they don't even, it's not acrimonious. They just sort of have their run. And then the guy, the front man, cause he's the guy, he's got stuff to do. He's got a solo career or in this case with Rick Ocasek of the cars, he had a pretty good producing career and he was a fairly hideous man who was married to a supermodel. So I don't think he was all that anxious to leave home for nine months at a time. I mean, you can't take chances with a relationship like that. Paulina Porskova might well be gone when you return. Is it really worth it to go play Shake It Up in Bulgaria when, you know, there's really good producing gigs waiting for you in, you know, down the block from your your brownstone in Greenwich Village? So I think the rest of the cars wanted to get together and Okasik wanted no part of it. And they probably hadn't been, you know, tugging at his shirt sleeve for a while before they finally realized they had to make other arrangements. And the one thing they had going for him is that they were, since they were legally not allowed to call themselves the cars, able to call themselves the new cars. So that kind of works. What didn't work was that they collaborated with Todd Rundgren, who's a real curmudgeonly kind of guy. If he's the guy I'm thinking of, again, I'm not doing homework this time around. It's overrated. Rundgren's a fascinating guy because he he made all of Meatloaf's money. And so he was a dude, and I'm sure many people listening to this know more about him than I do. He was a guy in the 70s, and he did weird stuff, and I think he's the guy who did... Um, I don't want to work. I don't want to bang on the drum all. I want to bang on the drum all day. That was the song, at least where I'm from, that they used to play every Friday night at five o'clock on Z100, the local FM station. That was a pretty silly song, but he was a serious dude who took his music and his work pretty seriously. And and um, and somewhere along the way, he's producing people and he's working on this Meatloaf album and. At least as I recall from hearing him on Mark Maron's podcast, he believes in this thing and no label on earth wants it. So he invests in it in a way that I think made him more of an owner of it than either Meatloaf or Jim Steinman is the guy who wrote and produced all that stuff. So when that thing hit, Rundgren, he said this thing on Maron that I've been thinking about ever since in regard to my own music and everybody else's music he said that that bought him creative freedom that nobody else has because even people who are really really successful are sort of like slaves to the make another album have it be what the fans want 
and so you can continue touring and you can remain relevant and keep making money and keep paying for the waterfall in your living room or whatever or cocaine whatever extravagances or both you are partial to and rundgren said because of all of the money he made from meatloaf he didn't have to and this is the way he put it spend the rest of his career writing songs about his high school girlfriend which i thought was man that really um that's what people do, you know, I, you wonder about that. People are like in their 40s and they're still writing songs about like heartbreak. And it's like, I, Bono, I would be disappointed if you really did have this many ups and downs in your in your romantic life. You're supposed to settle into, you know, a, a more measured middle age emotionally at some point. And that's what it is, is you're kind of you keep on drawing on those tumultuous teenage years if you're still in the pop and or rock game and Rundgren's like I don't have to give a half a fuck about anything and that attitude to my ears kind of showed on the work that he did with the new cars the cars never the most dynamic band with all due respect never my personal favorite 80s act befitting okay six hole stiff upper lip sunglasses deadpan thing they were kind of like a deadpan sounding band and rundgren did not inject a lot of levity or excitement or bounce or fun into the new cars and here's the single that they came up with You know what? I take that back. That's pretty much just a Cars song. I don't think we expect any of these bands 25 years after the heyday to actually scale their prior heights. And uh, if you like the Cars, that's kind of the Cars, just with Todd Rundgren. And they did it, and the world did not care. They did a very unsuccessful tour with Blondie, who also were not evoking a lot of enthusiasm in their own right in that era. And then eventually... The cars. Is there is there one of these bands that we've talked about so far that did not eventually have to just get back with the dude? Journey, check. Iron Maiden, check. Judas Priest, check. Misfits, even check. The cars, yep. And um, not these next two, because that um, rekindling their relationship with their iconic frontman was not an option for either of, of these two because in each instance the iconic frontman uh, was no longer with us so i don't know how many people even know that queen attempted to make new music well what is it something youtube i don't know some website keeps trying to get me to give a half a shit about queen with adam lambert apparently something about my well i think i know what it is about my internet search history i search a lot of bands with two x's in their name so i guess i can say where i would be the algorithmically suited to those ads anyway i do not care about never been the hugest queen fan either right do you have you ever known somebody who just fucking just like listens to queen all the time all due respect goes without saying totally awesome iconic game-changing freddie mercury quite possibly the greatest pound for pound front man in the history of rock and roll 
But when's the last time you actually sat down and listened to a Queen album? Know what I mean? Let me know if I'm wrong. Anyway, they, you know, they still want to rock and they still kind of can, despite being pretty, pretty old. And uh, they can still, I think, sing harmonies. I don't know how much of that is is canned. So they're out there with with Adam Lambert and good for all of them. But before they did that, they announced this reunion with, um, well, Queen reunion with Paul Rogers, who I think is, what is he? I can't keep my really lame album oriented late 70s Earl, uh, 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 rock radio rock bands straight. Is he like, no, he's not all right now. That's Bachman Turner Overdrive. Well, I'm actually going to look it up this time. I'm, I'm interested in, because you might be interested in knowing. It, it sounded like a weird fit. And as it turned out, it was a weird fit. I'm almost invariably disappointed by the directions people go in when they need to find a new lead singer. You know, they go with something safe. They go, who's a guy that's done it before, who's available that we don't hate, that either does the same drugs as us or doesn't do the same drugs that we don't do anymore. And so it always kind of ends up being predictably tired. I was excited about Velvet Revolver when that came along. And once again, with all due respect to Scott Weiland, you know, most bands, most singers, how, how many classic albums do they have in them? I personally, just for fun, because I'm sitting around my house chasing a baby with urine leaking out of her butt all the time. Um, it, it, I actually sat down and figured out how many bands there are on earth that I listen to three solid albums from. I could think of a million with one, obviously. I think of quite a few that had two albums. When I had to try to figure out a band that had three albums I would choose to listen to from top to bottom, I came up with like four bands total. And Morrissey was two of them. The Smiths and the Mar and and solo Morrissey. So like these bands, when they go and get the guy who's the retread from that, obviously it's easy for the label to get excited about. It's easy for the label to sell, but that guy's already done it. What are the odds? He has more classic hits in him, you know? Um, and and so you you would wish sometimes that they would just really beat the bushes and try to find some kid, this up-and-comer who's got it. Um, but that's not what Queen did. They got this guy, Paul Rogers, and they did an album, and they did some touring, and here's what that single sounded like. It's called Sea Liberty. Well, as long as they had fun making that, I guess. Yeah, I think I was more on the right track than I realized. Paul Rogers was the lead singer of Free and Bad Company. So he's the all right now guy, which is, man, that song is literally all right. It's one of the more milk toast vanilla rock and roll staples that has ever existed. And he brought that same even keeled mediocrity to queen which is like 
the most flamboyant rock band of all time got the all right now guy and that turned out pretty much the way you would guess i'm sure they're all lovely guys um which you know queen with adam lambert now that's that seems like everywhere they want to be now the final band that i want to talk to you about that failed to replace its lead singer failed pretty spectacular so much so i had some trouble even tracking this music down and this band is huge massive legendary one of the greats and yet the two albums they made after their um, iconic lead singer passed away were out of print for years and years and years until i think itunes was like guys just give us like you know just give us the file and we'll chuck it up there and the band had no reason to say no um i'm speaking of the doors who I don't think many people know this did try to soldier on and man did they used to make albums rapidly and in rapid succession back then the the last album that they made with jim morrison was la woman it came out in 1971 and while jim was off in paris ostensibly writing lyrics in reality drinking a lot of red wine and then god knows what they were already back at home cooking up another studio album and they were far enough along that he they released an album and he went away and he passed away and they settled those affairs and they still put out another doors album without jim morrison the original three in that same year in 1971 bands just move really really fast in those days like when you think about the arc of the beatles from you know the 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 teeny bopper fab four to the you know like british colonial officer uniform and mustached guys the psychedelic musical warriors that they were at the end that whole thing happened in the in the space of six years and i think the doors were even quicker jim morrison went from like a white guy pretending to be a native american to a white guy pretending to be an old drunk black guy in the space of like four years and the their velocity did not slow down despite the fact that he was dead and they put out this album called other voices and those other voices boy i did not know this because i knew that the doors had much later on done they were not allowed to be called the doors i think they were called the doors of the 20th century and i think it was ian astbury of the cult that they were working with but i don't even know that they recorded stuff i think those were just live performances when they put out this album in October of 71, what was this, like six weeks after they put out L.A. Woman? Man, cold-hearted sons of bitches, Densmore Krieger and Ray Manzarek unapologetically staring down the camera as a power trio on the cover of this album. Other voices featuring the vocal talents of keyboardist Ray Manzarek and guitar player Robbie Krieger. I listened to one of these. I want to do two because I'm fascinated by this album. I think this is uh, one of the singles. Here's Ship With Sails. No, Tight Rope Ride, I think, was the single with Ray Manzarek on the vocals. Let's see what that's all about. On your tight rope ride. Did he say get your melons? 
like I don't know if you were expecting because it is like a black and white cover that maybe this would at least be sort of a somber musical reflection on our fallen brethren, but nah, baby. Ray Manzarek's here. Get your melons. <laughs> and in case that wasn't dignified enough for you, here's one of the the Robbie Krieger, the guitar player, one of the songs that he sang. It's called I Kid You Not, I'm Horny, I'm Stoned. Okay. Okay. That sounds like a halfway decent door song, just desperately in need of Jim Morrison, who, by the way, I, f I find to be a very underrated figure. I think people totally missed the point with that guy. I've probably gotten into my Jim Morrison rant here before, right? A, a bit of a clown. I don't think anybody at this point in time, unless you are a really just like got stoned for the very first time in your life, like five minutes ago, you would probably see through the, the shenanigans and the ruse of the Lizard King. And um, boy, just like the prototypical dude that went to college and read two philosophy books and one book of poetry and got a, a you know, a, a, a lamb skin full of wine and thinks he's a, a poet now. But um, it's a fun little character that he made for himself. If you just don't take it seriously at all, just think of him as like the alt rock David Lee Roth. He's just a guy who's just there to, you know, party and, and have a good time and um, ride the snake down to the lake. And he came up with some pretty fun little melodies there. I think the Doors are have actually gotten so shit on, they've sort of become weirdly sort of underrated. But I think the the Doors, as they carried on without Jim Morrison, are properly rated, which is to say, utterly forgotten. And uh, I I might spend some more time. I might be getting back to you on these uh, these Doors albums because I think they 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 milked that thing as long as they could. I believe they put out an album of some of Jim's awful poetry that he'd gone into studios. Can you imagine being like Bruce Botnick, the producer and Jimmy like, no, 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 open the studio. No, it's not a song. I want to read my poems. And Botnick's just like, man, just think about the house you bought with light my fire. Just think about that house and let this dude keep reading from his notebook while, you know, skanks filleted him at uh, the, the record plant. Um, but I think the doors subsequently, after nobody cared about them singing without Jim put together at least one album of instrumental music put to his thought provoking genius poetry. And I believe there's two albums of them without Jim. I mean, they probably cranked out the next one, you know, three or four days after this one at the rate they were going. And then I think they may have done stuff with other singers before they even got to Ian Asbury. These guys tried. Uh, I'll give them that. These guys were, these guys were absolute gamers. All right, uh, if you're still with me, I've got a few minutes left, and I'm going to move on to another topic, a bunch of leftovers of stuff that I did not um, get to talk to Mark McGrath about the last time we covered this topic, which I had a lot of fun with this one, and there, there's way more where this came from. People still keep sending me links to more celebrities who dabbled in music, who fancied themselves, you know, actually music's my real passion, and when you're talking about celebrities who have done the music thing, you, of course, cannot leave out this guy right here. He's forgotten his name. Left it in a heart somewhere. No one to remind him. Told it to 
Uh, if you're wondering just how many just how many foot of grunts was that I was just listening to? Yep, you were listening to 30 odd foot of grunts. Russell Crowe and 30 odd foot of grunts. Toe Fog for their literally dozens of fans. And I didn't just make up that acronym. The album actually has Toe Fog is, is how they are identified on the cover of Bastard Life or Clarity. I was almost getting like a, like a, like a, like if a divorced dad recorded silent lucidity by Queensryche kind of thing off the start of that. I don't know. 30 odd foot of grunt seem harmless enough. I think Russell Crowe just wanted to play guitar and drink and I can respect that. Those uh, corners of youth culture and the internet who think Keanu Reeves can do no wrong should do themselves a favor and check out his old band Dogstar. Ah, he wants to be in America. I think he's being sarcastic. I think there was air quotes around that chorus. For a second there, it looked like those guys had a shot, and then people actually heard their music, and I think that was sort of the end of uh, a dog star. Let me see. Can I do two more of these? I definitely want everybody to be aware of Naomi Campbell's music career. Okay, I take this back. This wasn't that crazy of an idea. I'm actually watching the music video, and I can see it's ripped from MTV, so Naomi Campbell at least made it that far, and naturally, she looked the part as a video artist, and at the period of time where she put this out, which I think was somewhere in the 90s, there were quite a few acts where the singer wasn't even pictured anymore, and they just had a beautiful woman mouthing the lyrics, and Naomi's vocals seemed passable enough, and she certainly, as I say, looked the video part, so maybe that did have a half a chance. This one, finally, I think I talked to Tony Thaxton on this show about this. So Joe Pesci was a singer. That was his thing. He was up and coming crooner Joe Pesci. And he did sort of weird schmaltzy versions of of Beatles songs in like the late 60s because he has naturally been around for a while. And he rekindled his love affair with music in the character of the guy he played in My Cousin Vinny. And as if that wasn't weird enough, it was like 10 years after My Cousin Vinny. And uh, it sounded exactly like what you think it sounds like. I'll leave you with this. And people wonder why Italian-Americans get a bad rap. That was Joe Pesci. This has been The Tully Show. Thank you ever so much. Next week, I think I'll get a guest again. I think Jesse May's been having some computer issues that have keep, been keeping us from connecting virtually. So either she'll get those sorted out or maybe we'll meet in real life in some wide open, socially distanced space. One way or another, I'll be back next week um, Yeah, with or without Jesse. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to speaking to you then. <laughs>